what's going on? Welcome to the People's Show. Let's get after it on a Thursday afternoon. It's Vic Nazar, Israel Fair, senior athletic at senior editor at the Athletic. Sorry, not senior athletic. You ain't athletic. <laughs> I'm not senior yet either. <laughs> uh, a few years away from fifty. <laughs> We're hanging out here today, uh, coming to you live from the Kintech Studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over fifteen hundred five star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. Dot net. A lot to get into today. Uh, it is Canucks game day versus the Winnipeg Jets. You'll hear it later at 5 o'clock here on Sportsnet 650. We'll uh, bring you Bruce Boudreaux's audio. If you haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, it's coming up later on this hour. Sean Gentilly in the second hour. Ken Priestley, our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber, two-time Stanley Cup champion, will join us as well in the second hour. Uh, again, a lot to get into. We'll get into some hockey talk as well. But do want to start with uh, some breaking news within the last hour here. Uh, Rockin' the sports world, uh, iconic soccer player uh, Pele passing away at the age of 82. And every sport has its first icon. Gordie Howe in hockey. The, 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 the true legends that stand the test of time, that no matter what, uh, their story gets told in the history of the game for the future generations. And for soccer, uh, Pele was that, the the true iconic king uh, today, passing away at age 82. Now, we're obviously of a much younger vintage, uh, Izzy, but even in you know my childhood through the 90s, uh, yours, late 90s into 2000s, uh, it was impossible not to hear the name Pele and not to be shown clips of Pele and impossible not to understand the impact and the greatness he had as, as someone that uh, for, for, for the biggest game in the world uh, was the big face of it and and maintained his image and constant uh, appeal of the beautiful game. Uh, throughout his time. No doubt. And look, like the World Cup, when he won it, and he won it three times, but specifically the first couple times, 58 and, and 62, the World Cup was not what it is now. Mm-hmm. It was it did not have that kind of mega event. But he helped elevate it. And so that's you know, part of the reason, yes, you know, there are subsequent, like the legacy of the Brazil team, subsequently they have maintained that. I mean, it's been 20 years, but in the 90s and the 2000s, they still had the superstars, but he was the first Mm -hmm. one. He set that standard. So very similarly to the way that Gordie Howe is upheld in Canada for for being the first major superstar. Some people might say Maurice Richard, but I think Gordie Gordie Howe definitely holds uh, a place in the culture that way. That's what Pele was, but yes, in Brazil, but also across the world because it's the biggest sport in the world. And he has that little piece of his legacy of playing for the New York Cosmos and kind of kickstarting soccer in the United States in the 70s. Well, well out of his prime, but still mm-hmm. had the, those kind of unmistakable skills. And even well after his playing days, like you said, he was someone that growing up in the 90s and maybe it helped that the Brazilian teams were on a resurgence there and yeah. they were good. But he was on the present it was like we certainly did never never saw him play but we knew who he was and it it, it was just it was the the four letters it was the name yeah that, that was the ultimate standard for for what this is supposed to be and it's I think in, in my lifetime of athletes that I 
don't have a relationship with as a viewer, but more so engaging with their legacy, engaging with their persona. I think Muhammad Ali has to be one. I, I think there's a really strong case that the Pele's two for for what he did for the sport, for what he meant, mm-hmm. and that here we are, you know, 50 years after he, he was done playing and still still carry that kind of legacy. Yeah, and you mentioned just the global ambassador field that he had to it. Like, there's so many pictures right now. Obviously, you mentioned the Cosmos stretch, but there's so many times where, like, you're seeing pictures come out now where he, he's been to so many clubs. He was willing to be such an ambassador for the sport, and there's pictures of all these clubs from all over the world. Like, we're talking Division Two squads. They're like, hey, Pele visit us. There's a picture Soccer Canada put out at Swangard, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, he was there for a Canada match, constantly uh, continuing to push the narrative of, of the sport and continuing to be its face and embracing that ambassador feel for it, someone who understood hey, his role and his place in the history of the game. And, you know, there's, there's a clip going around, I showed it to you, of just all the things that of tricks we see players doing today, uh, skill moves, free kicks, and you go through it, and they're all paired with moments from Pele's career. It's not just one guy who's got this specific skill set. The way it was always shown to me, and it, it was a, a player who had every skill set. You want to play with power, he had that. You want to play with skill, he had that. A little grace, he had that. Uh, it, it was uh, the poster boy for a team, as, as you mentioned, uh, that get revered and talked about. And th- and that's that's what greatness is, right? It's it's you're able to do so many things. And there's quotes of like him saying that he scored a thousand goals, and it's unverifiable. But you still just look at it and say like, dude, the way this guy played, and why not? Why not just just <laughs> just accept that you probably scored a thousand goals in your career? Right, like when when the myth is better than than the story. Yeah. Print the myth, print the legend, and that's that's what he was. That's a term that gets thrown around a lot in sports these days. Legend or legendary. He was the soccer legend, and yes, there have been players that have come after him. You know, I think we we were kind of kicking this around before the show. The whole goat conversation which it, is a mostly recent phenomenon it's it, probably you know from maybe late 80s early 90s now it's just fodder for yeah. for guys like us that that do this for a living but like there was you know Maradona Pele but i think Maradona was someone who idolized Pele yeah. right like they 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 understood that they were part of this club it wasn't necessarily a competition but Pele is is really the first one that kind of crossed over it's generally the first Greatest of all time sports debate I remember. And I, I grew up in a soccer household, okay? So, bit of a different context. But even amongst friends, it would it would become that way. Like, the first heated sports conversation I can recall, like, watching adults go through it was Paley versus Maradona. Because, again, early 90s, we hadn't gotten to peak Jordan just through yet. Uh, yeah, there's Magic and there's, you know, Russell and... Uh, Kareem and uh, Wilt, Bird, obviously. And we're still going through the back ends of Gretzky and Lemieux and Howe, and there's Orr, obviously. Richard, you mentioned. There's other debates, but it was the only one that I remember feeling like these stories are written. And that's an exciting thing to, to grow up in and say, like, hey, this is fun to watch people passionately argue about something as quote-unquote trivial as greatest of all time because it's all 
uh, subjective. It's it's hard to come to a certain conclusion. But for for years and years and years, uh, this guy, until we got to a Messi or Ronaldo mm-hmm. stage, for this generation of soccer fans, it was always Pele versus Maradona. Like, that was, for me, like, the original greatest of all time sports debate. Yeah, and there was just a long tail to it because it was well after their playing days were over. And there were, you know, successful teams from Germany or from Italy that won the World Cup. But none of those teams had the the identifiable, almost larger than life persona that, that someone like the Pele was. And, and again, to reiterate it, this is just our experience mm-hmm. piecing things together, being aware of the history. And, and the it was legacy. always in commercials. But it's not like we, yeah. we didn't see it. It was, yeah. yeah, like we were exposed to it through popular culture. And it was so strong that it was years and years after that, that this player was done playing. And, uh, you know, up until recently when his health took a turn, was still very involved. And he, he'd show up for, for almost anything. Like, like you said, that there is a photo that the Canada soccer tweeted out of him uh, with like a, a lineup of players, Canadian players at a, at a CONCACAF game in 92 at Swangard. Like he's, he's showing up to Swangard for, for a, a Canada game, right? That's uh that was the, the thing that if you're to put that legacy, like there's the on-field stuff. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that clip, all your favorite players, favorite player, favorite moves yeah. and favorite, like he did it first. And we're talking like, we see how how sport has evolved, yeah. right? Skills increased in every single sport where we are in 2022. And we're seeing clips of Ronaldo, Messi, mm-hmm. your favorite players right now. And it's exact replicas of what someone was doing long ago on crummy playing services with a heavy ball in the worst conditions. The, the, the pitches were terrible. And yet, the creativity of a sport was seen by someone 60 years ago and played at such a way that uh, is still synonymous with so many players today. And, you know, and and that's why I mentioned like just watching clips, he had a little bit of everything because now we we get to a stage where it's it's so specialized and it's like, you can do this, do this as much as you can. Like we don't associate power with, with Lionel Messi. Mm -hmm. We don't necessarily associate, um, certain level of grace to like a Cristiano Ronaldo yeah. game. I thought you were going to say team play. <laughs> but no, but honestly, yeah, you can say that. Like we don't associate team play with with, with Pele. And then like, like one of the things I remember being told is, and watching it is how willing he was to be part of a build-up play. Mm-hmm. And you see the passing ability and how deep he comes back to get the ball. And, and then he had the strength of a Ronaldo for Brazil where he's bursting through lines and taking on challenges. It was not one style of play. Yeah, absolutely. And he became known for that, that kind of second part of his life Mm -hmm. as the ultimate ambassador Mm -hmm. showing up everywhere, not shying away uh, a genuine love for the game. I think, which from my understanding is, you know, very commonplace in Brazil where he's from. I, I can imagine that there's going to be, a significant outpouring there. Uh, I, I recall the scenes when Diego Maradona died recently in Argentina. Um, that's an even more kind of emotional uh, connection, I think, with the fans. He was also a little bit younger. Uh, but Pele, like, it's going to be... We've seen it in Canada with people like Richard or Jean mm-hmm. Beliveau, um getting that kind of you know, send-off, if you will. Um, it, it's going to be... 
it's going to be significant. He's, he's certainly a significant figure, uh, not just in his sport, but uh, across sports in the last 50 to 100 years. Uh, his own group put out a statement uh, saying, Inspiration and love mark the journey of King Pele, who peacefully passed away today. Uh, love, love, love. Forever. Uh, that is from uh, his official Twitter account. Uh, the legend soccer player uh, Pele passing away today at age 82. Spick Nazar and Israel Fair here on the People Show. I uh, want to do uh, talk about uh, Vancouver Canucks uh, as well. Plenty going on with them. Again, it is a game day. Uh, we'll pre-game show coming up at 4 o'clock with Satir Shaw and Dan Riccio. Uh, and also Canucks Central coming up at 3 o'clock as well. Uh, they'll take you right into puck drop at 5 versus the Winnipeg Jets. We had a fantastic conversation yesterday with Sean Reynolds. Uh, previewing the Jets, uh, if you want to go listen to that. It's on the People Show podcast. I uh, always appreciate it when you uh, listen back, subscribe, and uh, check out the People Show pod, Spotify, Google, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts, including Halford & Bruff, uh, PDO Cast, Canucks Central, and Canucks Talk as well. Who, by the way, they will be back uh, soon. Canucks Talk, I saw a text coming in here. Uh, said, hey, wait, where's Don Drantz? Uh holiday season man they get uh some time off they deserve their time off too hard earned uh they will be back soon uh here uh in your noon slot uh yesterday we, we kind of touched on you know uh and we, we definitely touched on Bo Horvat but didn't talk about like the bigger picture he's having a fant- fantastic year he's on a chase for 50 goals we touched on will he get there uh but outside of this market they're noticing that uh Bo Horvat's having a great season and given where the Canucks are in their own building landscape, uh, how to continue to uh, pursue Bo Horvat and what makes sense for a timeline. Uh, I want to play this back from uh, Kipper and Bourne yesterday uh, over at uh, our friends at the Fan 590, uh, just talking about when does it make sense to trade Bo Horvat. We'll have our thoughts after this uh, from Kipper and Bourne. I just think if you're the Canucks, I don't understand waiting you know, oh there's more suitors at the deadline it's like what if Bo Horvat gets hurt Bo Horvat has been red hot like this guy if you're going to trade him you can get the most possible for him today I don't get the whole idea that you have to wait till the you know early March to trade this guy and give a team 30 games you, you, you do because you're not stepping up with an offer they can't refuse they think they think it's going to get better and you know what the problem is JB if you look historically it tends to get worse yeah. at the deadline where you think you're going to get your first rounder and you end up getting your second and a fourth instead. Yeah. And this front office doesn't have a ton of experience. Rutherford obviously does, but you got a first-time GM, right, and Patrick Alvin, a uh, whole new new staff there. So, yeah, I don't know. To me, it's start with some little wins you get some clarity for your organization. I also think there's something negative about being held in limbo, waiting for that next step to waiting. Life is going to change when you move on from guys. It just feels like their team is temporary and they know it. I don't know. It's, it's a mess in Vancouver right now. That's from Kipper and Bourne over at Fan 590. Uh, a lot of truthful statements in there. Obviously, we've, we've spent a lot of time talking about uh, the difficulties of navigating this stretch here. But what's the right time to trade it because or to, to execute some trades? Because, look, there's a very valid argument to be made, and I've talked about it here, that Bo Horvat's best value, like when his value reaches the peak, will actually be March 3rd, just from, from a financial point of view here. Come March 3rd, 
if you were if we were to retain half of the salary on on Bo, it essentially works out to about six hundred and fifteen, six hundred and twenty thousand dollars of salary. And in an era right now where we're talking about flat cap and how valuable uh, money is, that could be the biggest driver of what his value is. Because a certain like his play right now, it, it's locked in. Like he's 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 done his end. He hasn't played poorly where teams are going to shy away from him. Even if he goes cold for the next four weeks, I don't think it's going to change the perception of what he is as a player. But the finances are what changes daily because if you're a team, you can say, hey, our best offer hasn't arrived yet because we literally can't take him on right now because we just don't have the cap space. Mm-hmm. So what is the right time frame here to do this? Because there's the the internal element of, hey, the finances make sense, but then there's the external element of, well, Ryan O'Reilly's situation continues to develop of if the Blues don't push their way back into the playoff picture, that's someone that you're competing with as far as on the trade market. Dylan Larkin. It could be a saturated market. Jonathan Tate. The guys in Chicago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it could change. So what is the right dynamic or what is the right timing for uh, Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford to come to a conclusion on this? Well, I'm fascinated, and, and Justin alluded to it with this management group's positioning where it was advertised and this is mostly on Jim Rutherford's reputation that they are going to mix things up. Mm-hmm. They're going to make some moves where, you know, Rutherford's been in the picture for a year now. Alvin just about not even Jim Rutherford's reputation, by the way, like he talked about shedding yes. money and talked but about I'm, like, making unpopular. His moves. reputation is that among a group of people, NHL general managers who tend to be very conservative, he is on the yes. extreme of the opposite. And within a year, there hasn't been a lot of that. And that's created some angst. And so I'm curious, not what the fans are anticipating, but how other general managers are trying to play that situation. They're going to try to take any advantage that they can get. And people are looking at this Canucks team and the guy said it on the clip. This is a a mismatch group at the moment. Mm -hmm. And Bo Horvat for a ton of reasons is a really attractive player for these for these teams and he is at the peak of his value. So I I I think that the Canucks would probably be best served to do something sooner than later. But I do think that's probably being held against them by the other teams who one have the cap considerations mm-hmm. and those are real and those are across the league. And, and there's literally nothing you can do about that. No, that's right. It just every league day that goes by, some teams are going to accrue cap a little space, bit more, just fractional. Like we're yeah. talking thousands upon thousands yep. of dollars. But by March three, yes. it makes a difference. So that that's a reality that is true across the league. And then the market is going to be saturated. I remember last year, of course, we were talking. Well, what what's J T. Miller's market? Mm-hmm. And at the time, Tomas Hurdle, who before this is before he signed his extension in San Jose. He was standing out along with Miller as like, hey, this is a really interesting piece for a contending team. There wasn't really a ton else. People thought it was a, a weaker market for for that player, mm-hmm. that player type. You know that teams are going to talk themselves into Jonathan Taves. If he's, he's certainly not got the numbers that but, Bo Horvat does, but he's got the pedigree. You're not having to make a long-term investment. That's all there. But I, I really think that the key piece here is that the other, it, it's it's sharks smelling blood. They're mm-hmm. circling. They know that the Canucks have put themselves in a position, like you said, Bick. It, Rutherford has 
come out and said, Alvin has come out and said, we're, we want to be aggressive. We need to make moves on this roster. The other teams know that too. They're going to hold the Canucks feet to the fire before committing to their best offer for a player like Bo Horvat. So I, th- I think that the answer for the Canucks is within the next month, pull the trigger and, and set the market. But I don't think it's feasible based on three factors that we've just laid out that make that a, a really difficult proposition. And and this is why I've, I've kind of made the argument why, you know, traditionally I agree with the idea what, what Kipper was saying there of if you wait too long, the offers are going to dwindle. This is why this year it's interesting. And traditionally Jim Rutherford's actually been a guy who pulls the trigger uh, earlier than He usual. likes setting the market. He likes setting the market, which is probably the way to go about it anyways. But – while we're talking about the finances here and saying, hey, other talent is available, the thing with the other talent is they make more than Bo Horvat. So we're already talking about the finances and, and the realities of what it looks like for the Canucks and trying to move off a player, waiting for other teams to get cap space. Well, Ryan O'Reilly makes more than Bo Horvat. Jonathan Tays makes nearly twice as much as Bo Horvat. So those teams are also dealing with financial realities. Mm -hmm. And for someone like Chicago to do a three-team trade to facilitate through Anaheim to get it, well, that team needs to get paid off as well. And so it complicates things even more. So is a team willing to give up more assets for a higher fee? And this is where this this game of chicken gets played by NHL GMs, including Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford, where they wait this out as long as you can go. I'll give you like a an over under, but we'll do a before and after. What makes sense here? Before or after this trade gets done, prior to January thirty first. What do I think is going to happen? How would you play it? I would make I would make the trade before in the next month. And how do you think it's going to play? Out? I think it's going to be later. So okay, how far do I have to go here for you to tr- to flip the answer? Like February fourteenth. Yeah, like late February. I don't imagine that we'll be sitting here on March 3, counting down the seconds to the deadline and going, is he is mm-hmm. he going or not? But I, I don't see, because of all of those reasons, something coming up soon. The the, the money part is the thing that, that complicates for me the most. Again, even if you retained half of what's left of Bohora, I think it's, it, look, the math is a little iffy here just based on league days and everything, but it works out to somewhere around $1.5 to $1.6 million left if you retained 50% today. Go across the league right now, not a lot of teams even have that. That's the difficulty. And if you're a team like, say, I don't know, the Rangers, and you want to play this out a bit longer and say, hey, like, let's whittle that number down even more while we still continue to fight for this wild card spot and we're in this spot uh, right now where we could slip out and the Islanders catch us and suddenly we're not in the playoffs. It's easier to say there's 20 games to go and we'll make the playoffs rather than there's 46 games to go and maybe we'll make the playoffs. It's all part of the big game of chicken here. How would you play it out 650-650? Uh, what's the right time to make a trade for you as far as timeline goes if you're in the camp that uh, a trade should happen? Uh, I mentioned the Rangers, though. Big news out of uh, New York today. First overall pick, Alex Lafreniere, expected to be scratched today in the lineup. Uh, We've mentioned him before. Uh, Not necessarily that he's going to be part of trade rumors, but we were talking on the postgame show one day of, 
guys that fit like a Tage Thompson mold of someone you make a bet on? Is Alex Lafreniere one of those guys that you would be interested in trying to make a bet on? We'll get into that conversation. Plus, you'll hear from Bruce Boudreaux getting set for a Canucks game day uh, on the other side here on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Back to the People Show. Big Nazar, Israel Fair, hanging out with us today. Taking you to 2 o'clock. PDO cast on the way. Canucks Central leading you into a Canucks game day as well. Brendan Batchelor, Randy Jando will have the call later today at 5 o'clock as the Canucks get ready to take on the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we'll get into a couple more things, including uh, Alex Lafreniere uh, getting scratched in New York. And would you be interested? Uh, we'll talk to Sean Gentili today about that and a couple other things happening around the league. But let's uh, hear from Vancouver Canucks head coach on a Canucks game day. Here is head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce, maybe uh, if you were looking for a game from your team like you have envisioned, it would be close to the template you want. Would the win over San Jose be uh, uh, an example of that, or is there still something I think more? There's, I think there's a lot more that we can do. I mean, do that against uh, Winnipeg. Do that against Calgary. You know, I mean, uh, San Jose is, 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 you know, is, is a team that works hard, but, I mean, they don't have the depth that these other teams have. And... Uh, it's just it's important that we be able to do those those things against uh, the top echelon teams in the league. With the way your team has played on the road, though, is there a, I don't want to say comfort level, but a, a confidence level uh, going into this game tonight? I, I I don't know. The last time we played these guys, they beat us five to one. So I mean, I think the confidence about the way they're playing is good. But the, uh, every game is is a new game for for this team and. Uh, I, I think the last thing we want to be doing is being comfortable. The goals against was just you guys have been better the last two, Bruce. Have you been defensively? Well, I think so. I mean, uh, um, you know, I think both those games we gave up goals in the third period, but we had comfortable leads going in. And every time you're in the uh, any team in the third period plays more of a you know a sit back game rather than go all out. So I, I think that uh, uh, we have been better. In a lot of ways, it's just a question of being better in a lot of ways for a long period of time rather than short periods of time. Bruce, getting your, uh, some of your big guns back compared to the last time you faced the Jets, uh, are you getting a clearer picture of what this club should look like or what you envision it to be? Well, I had a good vision of what they were going to be, I think, from last year. But, I mean, we started out where, you know, Miller played on the wing for, you know, a good portion of it. But uh, uh, we're starting to come around. I mean, uh, we're, we're pretty healthy other than Pearson and, and Demko. Um, so it's, uh, uh, you're, you're getting an idea of what they're capable of doing anyway. What stood out to you about Bo Horvath's year? I mean, obviously he's been a good, great player for a long time, but his ability to elevate on the goal-scoring side, what stood out there? Bruce? Well, I mean, you know, sometimes uh, I equate a lot of things to baseball, and sometimes, you know, you know, you got a good 300 hitter, and then all of a sudden everything uh, everything is looking like a, a basketball coming at you, and, and he's putting it in, and, and he's doing it at a rate that, you know, I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, 
and uh, you know certainly the his rate, but everything he's in the right place at the right time. His shots are going in, and you know I just don't want him to stop. How do you describe his ability to handle the uh, the noise that's been around him and the team this year too as your leader? I think uh, I think everybody's handled the noise and. Uh, pretty well, and we try to shut everything out. We don't talk about any of that stuff, so we shut it out as best as possible. And and I don't know how he deals with it inside and and at home with his family, but I mean, uh, I mean he's dealing it with it with us. He it's all about him and the team. Uh, it's never about or it's all about the team. It's not about him and and his contract situation. When you go back to that game that wasn't so long ago, Bruce, what are some of the things or the telltale signs you'll be looking for tonight early in this game? What, on the 5-1 From, from your perspective, yes. Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I do think we have to uh, uh, get inside the D a little bit better. I mean, we everything we shot was perimeter, and we let them carry the play to us rather than uh, us at least trying to carry the play to them. Bruce Boudreaux meeting with uh, Vancouver and Winnipeg media earlier today ahead of a uh, 5 o'clock puck drop versus the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, didn't talk about it there, but uh, seems like Colin Delia was the first one off the ice today. So uh, expectation is Colin Delia to be your starter this evening. And, you know, kind of mentioned it there, just having to overturn this 5-1 uh, loss that they just did uh, 12 days ago. And it's, it's look, it's, it's the thing that's plagued this team. Paul Horvat talked about it as well. Certain level of consistency in trying to find the, find that, that here they are in a three-game winning streak. And there's a lot of skepticism from fans to say, all right, like this is what this team is. Now that they've corrected a few things or playing better defensively, it, you you have to go do it now against Winnipeg and Calgary and the Islanders coming up and Colorado Stanley Cup champions. And again, versus Winnipeg on the road uh, shortly in the new year as well. This is going to be the challenge now to do it against higher level of competition. They played much better against San Jose as thorough of a game. I know the thir- third period got a bit uh, hectic, but the game was out of reach at that stage. It's, it's fake hockey to me at that stage. Uh, the first 40 minutes when they took the lead and, dominated they look solid now the step up in talent and strength of competition is going to increase will it carry over the jets have had the canucks number for a while oh yeah uh, there, there were some games in the canadian division season uh even before that they're, they're a team that uh and yes they have some injuries right now but they skate right even when we and we unpacked this with sean reynolds yesterday they needed a bit of a culture shock a culture change but even when they were in their doldrum so to speak Kyle Connor flies, Mark Scheifele mm-hmm. flies, even Blake Wheeler, and he's injured right now. And so is Ehlers. And Ehlers, like those guys all can skate and not only skate fast, but skate with the puck. And that has been a huge. <laughs> that's If the Canucks have one major weakness, and I'm sure we could point out a few of them, going up against those speed teams has been a problem for a while. You, you see them play against when, when Vegas is rolling and, and they're playing that kind of game. Uh, it's not where the Canucks thrive, and uh, this is this is a bit of a of a different Jets team because of the injuries at the moment. The Canucks only have what they've done, so the Sharks game to to build on, and that that's where they're at for this season. And we talk about the stretch that's coming up here, the next month, a lot of tough opponents, a lot of opponents that can skate. You know, Edmonton's on the schedule, Tampa's on the schedule. Those those are teams that are playing at a really fast pace and it's it's gonna put some pressure on, on the Canucks weak spots 
You mentioned a bunch of players there for the Avs or for the the Jets. Kyle Connor, Shifley, Ehlers, Wheeler. You can throw in Dubois, right? Like Ehlers is the one that's obviously been out, but traditionally very steady, very consistent, very productive, and a key linchpin in in their success. That's five of their top six, and all of them you would say this year performing at or above their capabilities. You flip that to Vancouver and say, what have Vancouver's top six forwards been like? Who who passes the test, basically? It's really only four guys. Mm-hmm. It's the two Russians, mm-hmm. Mikheyev and Kuzmenko. Done everything that you would have wanted from yeah. them as off-season acquisitions. It's then the two centers, Patterson and Horvat. That's really about it, who's passing the test. There's maybe some guys who are neutral, but if you're talking about above, equal to, or below value, there's really only four guys that hit the above value in your key area, and it's four of six. And even Mikheyev took a little bit of time because mm-hmm. of the injury, and Kuzmenko, like, there's a healthy scratch in there. And some of the defensive play early on in the season was slippage. So it's two automatic yeses in Pedersen and Horvat, whereas the Jets, it's four guys, five guys that you look at and say they're getting their production out of their top six. And Cole Perfetti, young young player, yeah. has been playing on their second line and been been super productive. Uh, he, he's put up a bunch of points. Last I checked, he was fourth in, in rookie scoring on a on a competitive team, mm-hmm. a team that, that's that's pushing. He's probably not going to get Calder vo- votes, I think, because Veneers has probably at least uh, as the leader throwing a couple of goalies as well in that yeah. in that conversation but like Perfetti is an addition mm-hmm. to that group and you look at the Canucks young players there was an expectation that Vasily Podkolzin was going to maybe take a step Nies Holglander has been really up and down the last couple of years some of that is deployment some of that is probably environment but it's a results-based business and you you, you give the four guys for a big chunk of that Mikheyev and Kuzmenko are playing with Pedersen mm-hmm. And having success, I, I I think that's been probably their best line over the a longer oh, he's, over over the longer yeah. stretch than what we've seen, which then leaves again the rotating door of players to to play with Horvat. Now there have been some flashes with Miller on the wing, and like just quite frankly, the Miller conversation is an interesting one because last year he was a dominant player on the ice for close to sixty percent of the goals at five on five. Not to mention his his power play utility, but there has been it has not been seamless center wing that they have not figured that part out, and so there have been you know constant moving players around, and then the the two guys then to me that stand out are Brock Besser and Connor Garland. There was an opportunity there to ride shotgun with a Bo Horvat who's scoring at a pace that uh, that he's never never scored at before those opportunities have, have really come and gone and you, you lose, you lose that, that depth for, for a team that we talked about probably lacking depth overall, that was supposed, the wingers were supposed to be maybe not necessarily a strength when we were talking about it in the Certainly offseason. Certainly not a weakness. But yeah, it's at, at, at least at, at the very least uh, an intrigue point. There's a lot of different pieces here, a lot of different mm-hmm. stylistic fits in the two guys that were brought in the offseason, Kuzbenko and Mikheyev have done, exactly what the Canucks could have hoped. The rest of that group, the two young players and the veteran players who in, in Garland and, and Besser's case, are, they're, they're, yes, Besser doesn't have the long-term contract, I guess, at this point, but like, he's signed 
for a couple more years. But Garland's a- got the long term. Like they're, they're not they are not players that should be auditioning for right. a role. They should be at the point in their careers where you can pencil them in. And of course, there's going to be ups and downs for for any hockey player. Uh, we saw it last year with Elias Pettersson, who is at a different level than most players in the NHL. But the average player, the slightly above average player, accounting for those ups and downs, you should still be able to pencil in. This player is going to be a top six player for us and is going to produce at a certain level. And that's that's where the Jets find themselves. And yes, they've got the benefit of strong goaltending this year. They've got the benefit of, of strike slightly better defending this year. But they can go back to relying on Connor and Shifley and Dubois and giving a player like Perfetti an opportunity in the top six and seeing that seeing that opportunity rewarded. The Perfetti example is, is really interesting because he's being productive in his role. And then, by the way, we haven't even talked about someone like Adam Lowry, who fills that middle role, does more defensive work, but, again, has a role in that middle class of their team. That's the thing for me that has played the Canucks more than anything this year is the middle group that's that – support scoring, secondary scoring, has not really shown up. Like, Brock Besser's on pace for about 18 goals this year. Even, like, there were some expectations that, hey, he gets 30 this year, he's finally going to crack it. It's something that he talked about. But even a rebound year for Brock would have looked like 23, 25 goals. That's the baseline what a lot of people, I think, would have accepted, even without the claim that he's going to get 30. Just get back to 22 to 25. Injuries come with the territory uh, seemingly now with Brock, and there's going to be some missed games. And so, so far this year, there's been some missed games and some working his way back to the lineup, but on pace for 17. Garland, you mentioned, looks a completely different player from what we saw last year where he has a lot of confidence on the puck, and there was some scoring. Now, he did go through a, a huge slump as far as goal scoring last year as well on top of this year as well, but it seems like the... 50-point landmark that he hit last year feels like it's going to be a difficult one to achieve this year. And you were just kind of telling me the break. That was 52 points with minimal power play. Yeah. 47 five-on-five points. They were they were thriving and maybe a little bit under the radar. And that was that was the kind of player that was ex- expected to come from his mm-hmm. his time with the Coyotes. This is the kind of player he can be. And there it, it hasn't been a seamless fit either. But at least the upside appeared to be there. And I've always been a fan of his game, so maybe I'm slightly biased in that area, thinking, hey, this is a guy that I would still bet on. But so far this season, just the results haven't been the, the points per 60 from Arizona to last year in Vancouver were very similar, right? It was 2.4, 2.7 his last two years in Arizona, and it was 2.5 last year in Vancouver. And the expectation was, hey, higher usage and the production will continue. Well, he's below two points per 60 this year. That's like that's a big issue when you slip and you're part of that secondary scoring. It's not even just that the baseline isn't being met and they aren't surpassing it. It's they're below the expectation for Brock Besser, Connor Garland, and then throw in, hey, there's an expectation Vasily Podkolzin would make a jump. There's an expectation Nils Hoaglander would make a jump. Now this top six that we're talking about for Vancouver starts to slide away, again, in an area where we talked about maybe not the strength, but certainly should not be a weakness. There was so much concern. What would be the weakness of this team? It's defense, defense, defense. And that's borne out quite a bit. But without the stability of some middle production from this team, 
that's evaporated, and that to me is is where this consistency has fallen. Yes, JT Miller's volatile. Yes, Bo Horvat has been so on fire, but the games he's not scoring, like we, we got a text here coming in. It's like, hey, what's Bo Horvat's plus minus? It's plus three. The defensive flaws do exist. He's scoring at such a rate that they don't matter as much anymore because he's on pace for 60-some-odd goals. But when, when when we have games where you're not scoring, there's going to be some issues where that do crop up in the results. The only one player that you look at and say, hey, he has been minute in, shift to shift, phenomenal. Now, there's been one, two bad games here. One of them you could chalk up to maybe having the flu and there was a dash four game. But by and large, Elias Pettersson, there's really only two games I look at and say he's been poor in those ones. Yeah, it's he's, and we, we've seen some recent examples of the high-end dominance that, that he's capable of. It's been, it's been that. It's been back for him to be a really complete two-way controlling play type of player. And Bo Horvat's never been that in his career. And JT Miller was for portions of last year at a high level, but it's it's peaks and valleys. And that's that's I guess if you're going to put all three of them together, you, yeah, I, I you feel really comfortable going forward about what Elias Patterson brings. Yes, you would in an ideal world want to find the perfect unit, the perfect duo to figure that out. People were very excited about him and Kuzmenko at the beginning of the season because they were producing a lot of goals, but there were some defensive mm-hmm. questions there about that. So that that's not a foregone conclusion, but with Patterson being the linchpin, you feel really good about about that. And the, the big flip is, you know, yes, Bohorvat's scoring a lot of goals, and there has been a nice boost on the power play. But five on five, it's it's pretty similar in terms of the back and forth, the flow of play. And he's he's also experiencing the, the highest shooting percentage. Take that into account. It's 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 pretty close to last year. And the, the big the big drop is Miller. And again, that's a bit of a back and forth from the wing thing, the center thing, in. I guess the general structure of this team, we haven't really touched on defensemen here, but that's part of the conversation as mm-hmm. well. You know, all, no one's been on the ice for more goals against on this team than Oliver Ekman Larson. Last season when he played with Tyler Myers, they were pretty much break even. And for a team that was not a playoff team and for a team that even with the Bruce run from December on, you'd still look at as, as a wild card team. You can live with a second pair. That's about, 50 50 and they're kind of in that range but there just hasn't been the stability especially with those two playing together and all of a sudden that has an impact on well we're on seeing the way usage for myers the now, have to play. right like the, the myers usage is different because mm-hmm. he's doing the thing that we've seen him before as well where it's third pairing uh partner and then he gets sprinkled in higher up the lineup to yes. just generate more minutes. Yeah. But if you said, hey, we're just going to put the same two D-, D pairings every single time, he's going to get paired now with the third pair. Right. There's been a lot of you know, Stillman. Yeah. Which is an interesting way to use him. In fact, among defensemen, he still played the most with Ekman Larson this mm-hmm. season at 5-on-5 five five and, and Stillman's, Stillman's second. But yeah, but that was more the the incumbent than it was what's happening right now. Yeah. Uh, the reason we, we bring this all up, too, is, is how much they've struggled uh, elsewhere on the roster, is uh, there's a player uh, elsewhere in the league who is a winger, but uh, he will be scratched later today in New York, uh, the Rangers. Alex Lafreniere, scratched. Now, we've talked about trade ideas for Bo Horvat, and you know, 
the the new model to build it after, which is a pie in the sky type model. But Tage Thompson was one that Buffalo looks at now and say, "Wow, we really got something from that Ryan O'Reilly trade." And for years, it was viewed as the bad trade to make. They gave up Tage Thompson for Ryan O'Reilly, and it was a great win. And now this is a win-win type trade for both teams because Tage Thompson is phenomenal right now and, and just crushing play. This one, we, we talked about, okay, who could be the next Tate Thompson? And it's it's betting on certain traits. Tate Thompson's got size, he's got some skill, and you just had to wait for it to develop. But it was also a center. We, we, we mentioned looking for guys across the league that might fit the mold for teams that would be willing to move the player as well. And Alex Lafreniere does kind of fit the mold. Because if you're looking for a blue chip who's undervalued right now, here he is being healthy scratched in the Rangers. If the Rangers were to be uh, interested in someone like Bo Horvat, would you be interested in someone like Alex Lafreniere? It's a winger who's uh, getting healthy scratched now with a large acclaim and a high pedigree in first overall pick. Is this something that uh, tickles you if you were in the market? And, and, and more specifically, using Bo Horvat as the catalyst and, mm-hmm, and the vehicle mm-hmm. for that type of trade. Yeah, of course. But because he's got that number one pick pedigree, that usually comes for a long time with mm-hmm. a little premium. It's not They're not going to just simply give up on a player that was recently taken with that pick. But this would be the type of blue chipper you would want. Yes. Here's the thing. It's a declining stock, just given where Stannis mm-hmm. is right now. And I've maintained, and a lot of people would say this too, it's if you're going to make the, the Horvat-style trade, you have to get centers and you have to get demon. This does not fit the bill. However, he is a quote-unquote blue chipper. Yes. It, it just goes to the conundrum. Is, is this something you would want to entertain? I would, but I understand the trepidation because we've seen this, we've seen this story before mm-hmm. with the Canucks, and we know that they need more depth on defense and they need more impact players on defense. They just need more impact players in general, as we yes. just kind of detailed with that. But that specifically, six, when yeah. we talk, when we when you're doing a, a deeper roster breakdown, they're never going to get where they need to go as a team mm-hmm. without another impact blue liner. How do you get there? For years, it was well, you're going to trade Brock Besser for that kind of player. That that ship has sailed. But those those players are extremely valuable, and they're they're probably if I'm talking premium for a number one pick, there's. There's probably a higher premium for that kind of, of D-man, unless you're the Avalanche and you can just get Devin Tays for, like, nothing. Two seconds. Just two seconds. But, I, like, I just want – because we, we we get caught up in the idea – because you're talking about, like, the, the 3D move of, hey, this is a expiring asset mm-hmm. for a declining asset, but at least you get control. And you, you maintain a certain level of uh, pedigree because you're first overall. Is there a 3D move where you can acquire this and then use him as a piece as well? Maybe. To, to go acquire that, to, 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 to get the type of D-man that's going to make an impact on your team. That's kind of, I think, with the, the line you're going through. But also, it, it, just, it gives you more opportunities and more flexibility to do so. But the way we traditionally look at it is if you're making this trade, you want to get a covet the piece that's going to be in your roster yeah. for long term. and. I I like the player, and I would be interested in that style of move. But, man, it's it feels odd to burn your big bullet 
on the idea that it's not a center or D man, even because he's all because he's got to do some projecting as well. He's got to get to reclaim his status as oh this is this is a guy that's going to be X Y and Z what he was labeled as pre draft. Sure, and I think the the scouting reports on him were obviously laudatory. He was the number one pick. It wasn't McDavid or Matthews. Mm-hmm. It was this guy is going to be a really good NHL player, a multi-time All-Star. Sort of what we saw, I think, with Shane Wright, and he ends up falling in the draft. But the pedigree is there. They've been famous players mm-hmm. as junior players, even as minor hockey players. What's that jump like? The Rangers, the environment there has been pretty interesting since he's been there, and he's gotten an opportunity to play. But they went from kind of completely throwing things out and, and, and changing the culture and giving different players an opportunity to last year being a bit of a surprise. And not he, he's not, he was not a feature player on that team. They have some veteran players, a lot of prime-aged players, you would say, that had really good seasons. And, and this year, it's kind of been a bit of both. There was, there was a downstretch where people were giving up on them, and there's been that that hot streak again, and it's it's not been a, a conducive environment for that kind of player. Whereas you look at a player like Cole Perfetti, another high mm-hmm. pick, not a number one pick, but a high pick, stays a little bit longer in junior hockey, uh, plays a little bit more in the American Hockey League, and now gets an opportunity in, in a top six on a power play to, to show what, what they can do. Um, development is, is difficult in this league, and I, I think development can be very difficult in a Canadian market, certainly in Vancouver. New York probably on the list of of American markets where that development can be can be altered as well. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, on the other side. A couple of good texts we'll get to as well on the other side. Sean Gentili from the Athletic, uh, covering the NHL, will join us uh, in the second hour of the People Show. A lot more on the way here on the Home of the Canucks Sportsnet six fifty. To the People Show, Hour 2, broadcasting live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks game day against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, it's on the way at 5 o'clock. Brendan Batchelor and Randy Janda will have the call for you then uh, here on the home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650. We'll connect with Sean Gentili in just a moment, uh, who joins us from the Athletic NHL. A couple of good reaction here I want to read, though, uh, in the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. You can always be part of the show, 650-650. This one unsigned, 100% interested in Lafreniere. He played very well in the playoffs last year, and this one uh, also unsigned. 
New York is souring on Lafreniere. Media is saying he doesn't know what kind of player he wants to be with no identity. While he was first overall, his body of work is not reflective of a star. There is more risk for Vancouver than the Rangers. It would take more to get Bo, in my opinion. And I think both sides of that argument very valid. And then that's why it's such an interesting debate because it's one of those ones where I feel like people want to see the trade and just have 100% slam dunk, we won the trade. I don't know if that one's going to be materialized because every trade has risk. It's just how much are you willing to absorb and to what level are you talking about that this can be a win-win for both sides. I wonder how much of that identity question has to do with the Rangers situation. Mm -hmm. It's not like he's just been primed to. He's had some opportunities to show his stuff, and the bar is pretty high of late, especially for offensive number one picks. You're looking at McDavid, Matthews, back-to-back years and the kind of impact that those guys had pretty much from the jump. But the Rangers have been in an, an interesting spot. I, I, he's got the talent. I don't, I don't think that, that goes away. Mm-hmm. But look, there, there are some, some real questions there. Um, and, and you talk about the commitment the, the team like the Canucks might be willing to make for that player in giving up a player that they have you know, devoted 10 years of, of resources to in, in Bo Horvat and uh, all, of, all of that playing into this. It's, uh, it's a fascinating one. Especially when you look at someone like Nico Hishier, also a first overall pick, and it's taken a little bit of time to develop, and now in his age 24 season, uh, really age 23, he had a fantastic year last year, but is taking another step this year. You know, it, it, it doesn't always have to translate to point-of-game production uh, right out of the gate for uh, some of these star rookies. Uh, let's get into it with Sean Gentili, who joins us now, uh, at Sean Gentili on Twitter as well, if you're not already following. Sean, how are you? Fellas, how we doing? I can't believe that I can't believe that Izzy bothered to talk to me today. That's a big that's a big big deal for me. Oh no, is there beef going on here? What's going on here? <laughs> no, absolutely not. No beef. This, no. This is, all, this is this is all this is all love, man. This is the athletic NHL teamwork. Man. There might be how, some how beef tomorrow, though, Sean. I'm uh, I'm uh, on yeah, the hook for power rankings tomorrow. Uh, I've got some good news for you, buddy. I don't think we're doing them. This oh week. yes, Dom. Dom's off. We've had like three game threes team, and I don't feel like doing them myself at the end of the year. I this got, is I got fantastic other stuff news. So. Thank you. <laughs> Congratulations. I owe you one. <laughs> we'll see. Great outcomes uh, live here on radio. Uh, here uh, again, uh, we were just talking about uh, the, the whole Lafreniere situation right now in New York. Um, he's going to be healthy scratch tonight, and you know it, it's an interesting spot because. This is a team with some serious ambitions, and you'd expect someone to be like him to be taking a jump at this stage in his career, and yet the the usage hasn't really been there, and the opportunity hasn't really been there. Uh, how do you read what's happening f- for Lafreniere right now in New York? I think maybe we're seeing that New York, the Rangers you know, specifically, was maybe not the right landing spot for Lafreniere. I know they've win the lottery, and everyone's like, oh my god, they, they make that jump. How fortunate can you be to get pieces like him and Kako early like that in a rebuild. But I think there's something to be said if you're a number one overall pick and it's a fine needle to thread because you don't want to be stuck on a team that's hopeless forever. And, you know, you don't want to be starting, start your career, you know, on whatever, a string of 75 point teams. That's not what I'm saying. But I think the fact that the Rangers fancied themselves a contender and had some success as a team, you know, pretty early on, 
and also had a pretty stacked top of the lineup. I think that all kind of played against him. So like you said, you know, the usage isn't there because you have big established dudes at the top, at the top of the lineup eating up those minutes and, you know, the, but the expectations aren't any, aren't any, you know, kinder or, or easier to meet either. So, yeah, I think it's, I think what we're seeing now is it's, it, it's a tough fit. I think there's probably better situations, you know, if you're Lafreniere to develop in your first, your first few years where, you know, you can get top six minutes and you know that you're not playing in the, you know, playing in the, in the meat under the media microscope in New York and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think it's a bunch of different factors that, you know, have kind of led us to this point. It did feel like found money and getting him as the number one pick and not necessarily being one of the bottom feeders. But I guess the flip side is the expectations for those number one type players that we've seen recently. You can go back even further to Sidney Crosby and and so on. But even just McDavid, Matthews, now what we've seen from Jack Hughes, like, do you think that the expectation in New York was that he was going to be, and it, it's Jack Hughes maybe t- took a, you know, a, a tiny bit longer than McDavid and Matthews, but now what we've seen is he's a dominant player. Like, did they, you think that the Rangers fans, maybe not so much the organization, but the fans thought we're going to get a guy that's going to be dropped into our top six, dropped into our first line and, and be a dominant player right away. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is what, what you guys are alluding to. I mean, we've seen it from number one picks generally for the last you know, more of more of hit quickly than not, right? Over the last, you know, ten years, let's say. And I think, you know, that fact combined with just the nature of draft coverage and the and the desire to pump guys up and, and assume that, you know, every first round pick is a generational player, mm-hmm. which is a term that gets thrown around way too often. Like the point of labeling a player a generational player is that there's only one one or two per generation, right? I feel like we have we've got 15 quote-unquote generational players skating in in the NHL right now. It's just not really how it works. So, yeah, the recent draft history, you know, and I think the way that Lafreniere was was pumped up, you know, to ahead of his his draft, ahead of, you know, that draft in his draft year didn't didn't really do him any favors. You know, not every guy steps in and is Nathan McKinnon or Connor McDavid or Jack Hughes. Like, sometimes – Sometimes guys take a little longer to bake, and I, I know you guys mentioned Nico Heischer when I was when I was waiting to come on, and I think he's a great example. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a world beater right out of the gate, and maybe even now he's not the player that people thought that he was going to be because a lot of his value comes on the defensive end, right? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily what you expect from a number one pick, but there's more than one way to develop into a solid NHL player, and I'm, I wouldn't be ready to give up on on Lafreniere just yet. But yeah, it seems like they're hitting, you know crisis point at this point in the season for sure well what's interesting too and, and we like we're talking about the rangers side of it and providing the opportunity you know what responsibility what responsibility does the player have in all this and at the same time like here he is he's actually producing more per game right now his points per 60 are up uh, as well like what do you see in his game when you watch him i mean i know we all we have this the book on him coming into the draft was like maybe the skating isn't quite where it needs to be i mean you know, or it's not elite level is probably the best way that people put it. And that's always something that makes me nervous when you're talking about an 18 year old or 19 year old guy, that's a tough thing to tough, tough thing to improve. And I think that's probably something that's fitting him, but you know, I just, it's tough for me to write him off. I like, you guys mentioned the usage, like he's played up and he's played down and he's been put, you know, in a quasi checking role at times. And like, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, like I said, I, the, 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 the things that team is trying to accomplish, the nature of the rest of the roster, it's not ideal for, you know, a young, skilled player 
you know, trying to try, trying to break in. There's there, there's better situations. It's a mix of stuff that he's not doing, and also some environmental stuff that he has no control over. And you know, we are where we are now. Uh, we were just kind of talking in the last segment as well. You know, um, given where the Canucks are, and and should they make a trade with uh, the Rangers involving Bo Horvat? Is this someone you want to target? Um, now, some people texted and say, hey, like, he's a winger. The Canucks have this opportunity to try to get more Sanders and D-men involved into the needed in the organization. Is there another equivalent of, like, this style of player at one of the premium positions that you look at and say, hey, that's something that should intrigue a bunch of teams? <laughs> I mean, everybody wants yeah. Sanders, right? Like, I, I, that's, a, that's a tough ask. You know, and God bless Bo Horvat. He's been fantastic, and he's going to make a gazillion dollars next year wherever he ends up, and he's going to deserve it. Right. Like, I don't mean this to slag him, but you know, there's a reason, there's a reason there's a premium placed on him. There's a re- reason there's a premium place on those positions. Like a team that is looking to Bo Hor- look, think of it this way. A team that's looking to add Bo Horvat is probably not going to be willing to, you know, throw or pass on, you know, a, a capable NHL ready, you know, maybe 21 or 22 year old center. There aren't a ton of those, and if and if a team's looking to add Horvat, odds are they don't have one, you know, in the hopper because otherwise they probably that that probably would solve the problem, right? So I don't know, you know, is is Lafreniere the the right the right guy to target as the is the one A, you know, big piece coming back for Horvat? I, I I don't know. I get why Canucks want centers. Every team needs them. The Canucks need them specifically, especially if they move on from Horvat. But it's easier said than done. Everybody wants one. When you look at uh, the Western standings at the moment, you know the, the Canucks are chasing teams, so to speak, and, and one of those teams that's kind of in the vicinity is Colorado. We know what Colorado can do when they're healthy. We know that they can be just about the most dominant team in the league, but they've had a ton of injuries. It seems like some of those players might be coming back. They've done a pretty good job of treading water without them. Like, to me, they're, they're the team, and it's not quite the second half of the season, but we're getting pretty close. They're the team that has maybe the most interesting second half because we know what we know what their upside is we know that they can be a Stanley Cup champion they have to balance the need of keeping those players fresh keeping those players healthy what what do you think the avalanche goal is for for the second half assuming because the west is maybe a little bit weaker that they have they have an opportunity to take a step back and and maybe not go full bore to make the playoffs but there's there's also some risk involved in doing that yeah, I think I think we saw a pretty good piece from our buddy Peter Baugh today talking about Mikko Rantanen and, you know, the role that he's played and, you know, keeping them, I don't want to say head above water because, you know, they're they're not, they're in a playoff position pretty comfortably. They're not, you know, ready to slide down to, you know, 15th in, in the in the conference or anything like that. But that's the benefit, I think, of having, of having a roster at the top is just stack with elite dudes, right? You can say... Nico Rantanen, like, here you go. You're the guy you are, like, we're, we're relying on you, you know, go for it. And it's the benefit of he's one of the, you know, what, 10, 12 best forwards in, in the league. Like, it's not bad. It's not a bad contingency plan when you're dealing with injuries to, you know, Nathan McKinnon and, and that whole, that, that whole slew of dudes. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think, um I think <laughs> we're talking about teams that want to add centers. I think, you know, Colorado probably does at this point. We've been talking about it for months. Everybody's trying to place, you know, can they can they find a way to make it work for Taves? Like, there's all sorts of, you know, fantasy land stuff that that that, that has them shoring up down the middle. And I think what we're seeing now is, you know, is this 
is this team as constituted going to win a cup? I, I don't, I don't think so, but they're also, they also have the benefit of getting a whole bunch of guys back and having everybody slot in the way that they need to, you know, by, by say the trade deadline. So I think they're learning something about guys they have on that roster. They're staying above water and, you know, they've been there before. So yeah, I, I wouldn't, I, w- I wouldn't expect them to, you know, drop out of the picture anytime soon. Talking to Sean Gentilly from the Athletic NHL. Uh, I pitched this to Izzy earlier. Uh, we are just kind of talking about the, the timeline of some trades and obviously Paul Horvat part of that picture as well. You mentioned Jonathan Taze and uh, you can throw Ryan O'Reilly potentially in there. Maybe the, the situation devolves in Detroit for Dylan Larkin. But if I had to pitch it to you, like when you will see some moves here, uh, before or after uh, January 31st? great that's a big question you know there's a lot of you look at the west too in the in the in the bottom of the east at this point there's a lot of a lot of a lot of stuff that's yet to shake out i think there's still a lot of teams that are you know maybe not quite in the position to sell that should be that should be there in in the next little bit you know do, do they hold off do they strike first i mean i know it's something jim rutherford was always always all about in pittsburgh you know was trying to add you know, around this time of year, rather than waiting for waiting for waiting for February. But yeah, it's it's a it's a t- it's a tough question to answer, honestly, because there are you look at the bottom of the league. Even though there there are all those teams on the fringe of the wild card, you know, picture that probably don't want to, you know, push the plunger just yet. That the last six or seven teams in the league, especially now with the Canadians going in the tank over the last you know couple weeks, they are brutal, right? That's a that that's a lot of. <laughs> That's a lot of a lot of chaff at the bottom at the bottom of the of, of, of the weed pile there. So yeah, I don't know. I, I think those teams should be looking to sell, you know, sooner rather than later just to just to get a hop on things. But man, it, it it's tough. We see that every year and then there's always a couple moves and then deadline day is always you know, always always stacked to the gills. So it, it sounds interesting, it would be a good move, but I I'll believe it when I see it. A team that's got uh, holding at least a, a few cards is Chicago. Predictably, they are they are awful, and they've got two guys that are going to be in the Hall of Fame that have been in trade rumors for the better part of a year now, and in Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves, that, that they're going to there's going to be interest just because of the resumes and what they might be able to bring to the table. What, what do you think ultimately happens with with Chicago and, and with those two guys? It's a great question. Also, you look at their at the rest of their roster too. Not to not to totally divert the question, but like. Got Max Domi on a short-term deal. You got Athanasia on a on a on a short-term deal. Like they have, you know, potentially movable pieces that maybe aren't gonna aren't gonna net a first-round pick or anything like that. But those are the kind of players. If you're if you're a team that's looking for speed or looking for some goal-scoring ability, maybe on a third line, like those are those are the kind of guys that move too, right? So there's it's but it yeah it starts with it starts with Kane and Taves, and I think what. You know, all the vibes coming out of Chicago, Mark Lazarus has written a lot about this. Scott Powers has written a lot about this. Is that, you know, I think this is something it was easy to kind of see at the start of the season. It's all well and good to say, like, hey, maybe Patrick Kane wants to resign. Maybe he doesn't want to go anywhere. He loves Chicago. The legacy matters to him, blah, blah. Same with Taves. But in practice, when you see how bad that team is, and how brutal they've been over the last month after, you know, treading water for for a bit, maybe in October and November. Seeing it in practice is something else entirely, right? This team is brutal. I don't understand if you're Patrick Kane, you know, why you want to extend this in any further, unless you are really, for whatever reason, committed to signing another big long-term deal with, with, with Chicago. Just get a start on it. Tell them, do a Claude Giroux thing, right? Tell them, like, all right, 
like start the process now. We'll, we'll we'll figure it out by trade deadline day. But get me out of here, you know, because I'm, he's still he's a he's a young dude, a young enough dude with a with, with some tread left on the tires. And yeah, I, I think it's I think it's time for him to ask out. I don't think anybody should be surprised if if that's what happens. Uh, that's the the West. I did want to mention the the what's happening in the Eastern Conference. Uh, it, is the Eastern Conference kind of boring? It just feels like the same uh, yeah. seven teams are back in it. <laughs> like like New Jersey uh-huh. had that big run and and they're comfortably in a playoff spot right now. But suddenly they're two seven and one in their last ten and. It just seems like we're we're gonna see a lot of the same uh, teams. Like Detroit's fallen off. You mentioned uh, Montreal; they've really gone in the tank. Not that they were really in the playoff spot, but it. it just, I look at the standings here again. It's like what well, it looks very similar to last year. <laughs> I'm trying not to just assume that the that the playoff field ends up, you know, identical to what we saw last year. It's tough not to. Like you're like okay, the like maybe the Islanders will fall off because. You know, they relied pretty heavily on Sorokin. That's a tough ask over the course of a full season. Like, maybe maybe this is it for the Caps, and then they go out and win, you know, 7 of 10 or whatever that whatever that streak they were just on. I know, it's boring. We're just kind of moving around the same pieces and wondering, you know, who goes, who ends up in the in the first wild card versus the the third spot in, in the metro or whatever. Yeah, it's bo- it's boring. <laughs> I, I love, I, I appreciate the the Western Conference talk. I'm I'm based in Pittsburgh, and it's just like, just feels like everyone's just uh, killing time until. You know, until uh, until until March rolls around. Well, j- just go figure. Like, hey, let's bet on Sidney Crosley. Let's bet on Alex Ovechkin. Let's bet on Igor Shosturkin. Let's bet on uh, the Tampa Bay Lightning. That they'll yeah. that they'll figure out their early season woes. It was a pretty safe bet. And suddenly, if you're the Islanders, if you're the Red Wings, the Sabers have plus eighteen goal differential. And it's like you're not going to the playoffs. It's wild. You know, it's wild. I, I every part. You know, every bone in my body wanted to pick against the Caps to make the playoffs this year. But I've said it a million times, man. I'm not, I'm not picking them to miss the playoffs until they miss the playoffs. Like once the drop off happens, like fine. If if it happens now, next season, I'll feel comfortable. You know, leaving them out when it comes time to do preseason predictions, right? But I, you know, we, <laughs> it's a, yeah, you can't bet against Igor Shesterkin over the course of a full season or Sidney Crosby or, or any of these guys. We've seen it happen, you know, more than enough over the last two years or five years or 10 years. And, it, and it's because it's, 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 that's how it plays out. That's for witnessing it firsthand. Absolutely. The one team that wouldn't be uh, a, re- a repeat playoff team would be Florida. And uh, I, I have to think that that would be a pretty major disappointment given the off season that they had. They're a bummer to watch. If you guys, if you guys, I don't know if, how much, how much of those guys you get to. Uh, very watch. infrequently, and I would uh, agree with that too. They, they, they just don't seem as fun as last year. Yeah, I mean, it's like be careful what you wish wish for when you bring in, you know, a Paul Maurice or any kind of quote unquote structure guy, you know, whatever. And and I get the, I get the idea. Like the way they played in the postseason wasn't wasn't sustainable, but. From, I don't have to like it from an entertainment standpoint. That was a that was a wagon of an offensive team last year, and it's just not the same. You know, they're they've gone from being a dominant, you know, a truly dominant five on five team, you know, with a passable power play, to like a, a top ten, top fifteen five or five on five power play with a with a or five on five group with a power play that you know couldn't hit the ocean from a boat, right? Like it's just it's been brutal to watch. Yeah, they're they're the big disappointment for me, for sure. Hey, Sean, we really appreciate this, uh, and uh, happy New Year to you as well. 
Same to you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, That's, Sean. That's uh, Sean Gentili from The Athletic NHL. Joining us here on The People Show, Bick Nazar and Israel Fair, senior editor at The Athletic. So you got some more free time now. No power rankings. Yeah, to, uh... that's not usually my assignment, but yeah. we're on skeleton st- staff this yeah. week for uh, for vacation. So I was I was the one that was going to handle the, the power rankings that, that Sean and Dom do every week. Apparently not this week, but during the season, every every Friday, the home of the power rankings at the Athletic, and that was going to be my job. So yeah, a little bit more free time tomorrow morning. <laughs> uh, so we're on three to six tomorrow, by the way. A uh, little change up today. Also doing the skeleton crew here at uh, six fifty. Many people uh, enjoying their holidays uh, right now. Uh, our guy though, Ken Priestley, he'll be joining us on the other side, Mister Fix It from Dunbar Lumber. Uh, He's sticking around during the holidays, so we'll talk to him on the other side. He, he sent me a note that he's got a Pele story as well, that he uh, had the good fortune to talk to him. Uh, so we'll, we'll Do you think it's Swangard? Maybe. I guess we'll find out on the other side. Uh, we'll talk to Ken Priestley. Plus, we'll get to the people's picks on the other side here on the Home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the People's Show, broadcasting live from the Kintech Studio. PDO cast with Dmitry Filipovich on the way. Canuck Central after that at 3 o'clock till 4. Then the pregame show uh, with Dan Riccio. Satyar Shah takes over at 4 o'clock. And they're on TV today. Dan Riccio looking pretty dapper, strutting through these hallways. He did. He looks good. Thought he was going to another Christmas dinner or something. Yeah, he did have those vibes. He's like on his best behavior. Yeah. Like, hey, Israel. <laughs> Full handshake and everything. Yeah, he's he's got the uncle vibes he's, at a Christmas yeah, dinner. He's still got the, the festive season going. <laughs> uh, Always professional. Yeah. Dan Riccio. Still. Total pro. Uh, he's coming up at 3 o'clock uh, with Canuck Central. They got the mailbag and they got Cheech uh, on the way. And again, your pregame show. We'll connect with uh, Ken Priestley in about 10 minutes. So we'll, we'll talk to Ken. Uh, and get into uh his Pele story uh again uh, passed away today at the age of uh, 82 and a lot of good stories coming in and uh Ken's uh got to meet him I got Joey Kenward text me as well uh Pele uh coming to town July 7th uh it came to town July 7th 1975 Cosmos uh playing at uh, Empire Stadium and we talked about hey, the Cosmos impact and mm-hmm. just the the global appeal of Pele uh and a lot of people in North America obviously got the chance to see him as well yeah, it was kind of that was an all star type team. He was the figurehead of that all star team, and you hear the stories through the, the mid seventies there, going around to different cities, Vancouver included, and the the impact that that had for soccer fans everywhere. You know, not too much later, the the, the Whitecaps are are winning, you know, the the North American Cup, and uh, it's in a, in a lot of ways the peak of local soccer if you will uh, at least at a club level and Pele was was in town just a few years before that um, there was there's certainly interest and there's there's going to be there's going to be I think a, the, the tributes the stories to come mm-hmm. I, I'm looking forward to hearing Ken's story for sure I've seen a few people share their individual stories on on Twitter today uh, where they, they met the man once and they have very distinct memories of that and he was everywhere like we we said to open the show he was an omnipresent person in 
not just soccer, but in sports for, I mean, basically his entire life, right? Mm-hmm. From from the time he was a very young player, 20, 20 year old player playing for Brazil to to the end of his life, uh, just a, a major sporting icon. Uh, Bick Nazar and Israel Fair here on the People's Show. Uh, it's time for the People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports, brought to you by BCLC. Taking a look at the Thursday night football game, the Dallas Cowboys on the road to the Tennessee Titans. We did guess the lines yesterday. It was at 12 and a half points. This has gone up to 14 now. Uh, news today that Malik Willis, the uh, rookie for the Tennessee Titans, will not be starting for the Tennessee Titans. They continue to rest everyone. Is this maybe part of a resting? Is this part of a benching? Uh, is this to give Joshua Dobbs some reps before next week when their season comes down next week? But this line has moved up to two touchdowns yeah. now in this scenario. <laughs> 14 points. Dallas Cowboys are favored. That's with uh, Tony Pollard not playing. Yeah. By all accounts, maybe there's a last-second reversal, but he's not expected to play for the Cowboys. So if you've got Ezekiel Elliott in a, in a fantasy football pool, uh, you're, you're looking at uh, maybe he's going to account for those 14 points with a couple touchdowns. But more importantly, if you've got Tony Pollard, uh, make sure you move him out of your lineup. Uh, look, it's still professional football. 14 points is a lot of points. If I'm leaning one way, it's uh, towards the Tennessee Titans. Uh, even though it's been rough for them recently, and the Cowboys has started rolling a little bit, but Dak has thrown uh, picks in five of his last seven. Uh, been a bit turnover happy. Some of it's bad luck going off for receivers, but if I'm leaning anywhere tonight, it is 14 points for the Tennessee Titans just because, uh, man, it's still still professional players, man. Trying to uh, close that down. If I'm looking at something, though, uh, over 230 passing yards for Dak Prescott paying out at 1.91 as well. That's the People's Picks. It's brought to you by PlayNow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at PlayNow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC. Know your limit. Play within it. Canucks game day versus the Winnipeg Jets uh, coming up at 5 o'clock. You know, we saw this game five games ago, 5-1. Uh, and, and I was coming off of a 4-3 win in, in Calgary. Here are the Canucks uh, pulling together a couple of wins here. And now they go up in competition to play the Winnipeg Jets. You know, what was so fascinating about that game is it just looked so easy for Winnipeg. They were able to just protect the middle. And Bruce mentioned it uh, in his availability earlier today. It's have to try to break into the middle of the ice. New, or New York Jets. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets were just able to... <laughs> I don't want to say bully the Canucks, but lean on them and not allow them to, to, to look threatening at any point in the evening. Well, they've got the two guys, uh, Shifley, or sorry, Dubois and uh, Lowry, uh, big boys mm-hmm. playing down the middle. Shifley also not not a small guy, more, more so offensive, although by all accounts, but the reports out of Winnipeg is that this year, you know, it's the conversation we have about Bo Horat in the market here. What kind of player is he defensively? There are a lot of sh- questions about Shifley, and he's been a point-per-game guy. You know, He's been much more productive than what Bo Horvat's been, yeah. but giving back a lot defensively, still a worthwhile trade given how much he scored, but that this year he's he's really bought in, and I think it helps when you've got a couple guys behind you that, that have that that size, that speed. They, they've, they've, got, uh, they've got some Im- impressive depth down the middle and it's helped them withstand some of the injuries that they've had to their creative players like Ehlers. Shefley's kind of a funny profile because there was a stretch there where it was 80 
points, 84 points. And he, like, he got Selkie consideration. Not high, but there were votes for Mark Scheifele. And it was during his uh, really productive point-of-game stretches there from 2016 uh, all the way through till 2020, basically, mm-hmm. where he's been point-of-game. Well, he's, he's always been point-of-game, but there's been some... Uh, slippage on the defensive side, which some people have talked about. It's like, oh, are you really going to take that step? And yeah, it, it's a good uh, good shout there with the comparison to Bo because this is the first year we're looking at a point-to-game player and suddenly any defensive issues don't matter as much because you are a point-to-game. Or Shifley, it's it's basically since he's been 22, has it's been so productive and prolific that he's had massive seasons. There's always been a conversation about Shifley as far as you know, a uh, playmaker too, because he racked up a lot of secondary assists. Yeah. And it was like, hey, is he really the true playmaker? But, hey, man, when you, when you put up as many as he has, you're, you're kind of just uh, picking at fine lines here. Yeah, you're talking about a player who's got he's got one year left on his deal. Mm-hmm. He's been signed to a pretty similar contract to what Bo Horvat's been playing on. And if it seems like he's a guy that he's looking at that next contract as well. And he's got, if we're arguing about the case that Bo Horvat has for making big money on his next deal, Mark, Mark Shifley's got a similar case. Uh, he's a little bit older. He's, he's pretty similar. I, I would say to, to what JT Miller was yep. and yep, 100%. S- similar age, the argument there, but like Shifley's point production is, it goes way deeper. He's he's been doing that for for a long time, and the numbers are a little bit down this year. But again, it's it seems like the the offensive play has been. He's not Patrice Bergeron all no. of a sudden, but it. But he was a dash a seventeen improved. last year. Yeah, now, that team defensively was it was a mess, a, a big mess. But he's back to just about being an even player. Yeah, which from where you were to where you are, you try to make that trade off. And I I would say the offense as they get healthier, no Ehlers, no Wheeler. That has an impact on someone like Mark Scheifele. So when those guys come back, will we see a spike in production as well from Mark Scheifele? All right, let's get to Ken Priestley, who joins us. Our Mr. Fixit, uh, former NHLer and two-time Cup champion, our Mr. Fixit from Dunbar Lumber. Ken, how was Christmas? Oh, it was great. It was great. We had uh, it was quite quiet. We had uh, a few people over, daughters and son-in-laws and all that kind of stuff, or future son-in-laws and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, uneventful, just a lot of food and good times. Uh, yeah, never hear people have that have the loud Christmas. <laughs> it's like oh, it's, I, it's always a quiet Christmas. Quite loud Christmases are not not fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. You get to watch. You get to watch a little bit of stuff on TV, and uh, yeah. hopefully there's a hockey game or two. But uh, yeah, it was again, it was uneventful, but uh, it was it was a good time for everybody. And uh, now I'm I'm ready to move on from turkey dinners. Uh, we want to get into a couple of things with the Canucks. Uh, here they are on a three game winning streak. But you shot me a note saying. Uh, that you, you had a run-in with uh, Pele when you were much younger, and obviously today, uh, sad news. But uh, what was uh, this story? You know, it was funny because uh, I, I heard about it actually listening to your show as you, as you were coming on, and I thought, oh, you know what, I might as well share this story because I don't really share it with anybody. It's just one of those things that happened to me when I was a kid. And back when, the, when I was, I think it was seven, uh, seven or eight, 1975, there was a, the Whitecaps held a soccer skills contest uh, and the winner got a trip for two to soccer bowl, and and you had these skill competitions that started in you know in the, at Kitts Park I think it started, mm-hmm. and then if you make it through that stage, you went to Empire Stadium, and and uh, Barry Mitchell I think was one of the 
white caps that was there and i think there was like willie johnson i think was there there's a few other guys there bobby Lundies, i think they were all kind of in that area right i can't remember exactly the, the guys that were there but anyway so you know long story short uh, i made it to a final and and all of a sudden here i am i won my age group which i think was seven or eight years old and uh my mom and i went to uh san jose for the soccer bowl and we got there the day we got there to San Jose. We, you know, I'm a, just kind of we're checking in, and I'm way too young to understand what's going on. But uh, my mom says, you know, we're going up to the room, get your suit on, we'll go to the pool. And here you are in San Jose. I'm fired up to get in the pool, and my mom's going to sit by the pool and kind of just make sure that I don't drown, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, she looks over to her left, and there is Pele with two other guys. And it was kind of like, She's at, she's going, Ken, Ken, look, look, look who, you know, here's Pele. This, you want to get a picture? And I'm kind of saying, nah, maybe not. You know, I'm, kind of, I'm in the pool right now. There's more important things to do here. But uh, sure enough, I get out of the pool. I'm soaking wet. She walks up to Pele and, and you know, basically says, excuse me, but uh, do you mind if my son is he's here for a, a soccer skills contest and he won his thing? Do you mind if you get a picture? And you know what? Here's a dripping wet seven-year-old kid that just came out of the pool he kind of sits you down and and has a little bit of a conversation not long you know 20 30 seconds takes a picture uh you know congratulates you ask you a little bit about your soccer or where you play and what position and all that kind of stuff but uh it was just it was so interesting you know at later on in life when you think about it uh, a little kid who's in the pool uh asks you for an autograph and sometimes it's uh you know, not necessarily what you want to do, but he made more than enough time to, to, you know, know where I was from, what I was doing there. And, you know, great ambassador to the sport. And I think at that particular time, he might've been playing for the Cosmos or he was just, you know, getting out of playing for the Cosmos. But uh, the picture that I have is uh, worth a thousand words. And uh, it was a great experience to meet him. You just mentioned him being, you know, such an ambassador for the sport, and even in that moment, uh, I mean, look, you're seven years old, but 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 could you appreciate just how aware he was of of what he meant for his own sport? I I wasn't aware of how much he meant to the sport, no, but I was aware that he was a big star in my eyes, right? Like probably one of the biggest, and I think when you were when I was that age the Whitecaps were a big deal. I mean, they were Empire Stadium. I remember going there a number of times to watch them play. And a number of my friends at school, we all talked about soccer and who you were going to be. And and his name always came up, right? It's probably like this day and age when they're playing, they're always Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar or something like that. It was, there was nobody else. It was, it was Pele. And that was, that was kind of what I knew. So, you know, you, you just kind of, you just played and he was the guy and wherever he was kind of followed that team. And, you know, the European teams were, were big, but you know, Pele was just it. He was what I thought was the best player in the world. And, uh, and I think a lot of other people thought so as well. Pele on the pitch known for, for scoring a ton of goals. A guy on the Canucks right now who's pouring them in is, is Bo Horvat. Uh, he's on quite a tear now. It's, it's been, you know, more than just a hot streak. He's, he's really seems to have elevated his goal scoring. What, what are the streaks, Ken, that, that you can think of where you've just been completely blown away by what, what, why, what a player is able to do and, and put the puck in the net? Well, I think as, as a goal scorer, you, you, when you're hot, everything is just so much more, 
clearer, right? Like it comes off the stick well. The hole that you're look, trying to put the puck in top corner, bottom corner is just that much bigger. And, you know, the last goal that he, that he scored on that, uh, that breakaway uh, where we put it top, top corner glove blocker side, I think it was. I mean, it was such a – I don't even think there was a doubt it was going in in his mind. And, then, and if you look at his, his reaction after, it was just like ho-hum, right? Like he's just – He's feeling it at the moment, and uh, it's an, it's nice to see when you see a guy who's putting in that much time. He's, he's obviously putting in the work, uh, you know, in practice and all that kind of stuff, and it's really paying off for him. And in a in a key part of of his career, like he's in a contract negotiation stage, uh, he's the captain of your team. He's going through a rough spot with the Canucks, but his 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 game is is coming around, and and uh, he is just a huge a huge person in this in this Canuck uh, in this Canuck team what's it like for other guys just watching this guy just be on an absolute heater it's like I, I need a little bit of luck to go my way too well it's like watching Connor Bedard yesterday <laughs> <laughs> I mean the guy everything the guy touched whether it was a whether it was a, a pass he was making or a, or a shot he was taking um if you look at the bench on I think it was the his third goal I mean it was just like they were just grinning right they didn't even have a it's it's just oh yeah he, he scored again right like they're expecting to get three and four and five a game um you just think that uh when when scorers are that hot and 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 are, are on their game that they're just uh it, it's not everything that that they do that's going to work out but uh, the majority of it has uh uh has some good things at the end of it for sure we see that this team doesn't really have problems scoring, right? Like the, the last few games here, it's five goals, six goals, six goals. Um, but it, it's just been the the minute-to-minute consistency uh, that has plagued this team. And we were talking about it earlier. You know, someone like Brock, he gets the goal last game, and it, it just felt like a classic Brock goal where he just kind of slides to space, puck on a stick, puck off his stick. You know, when do you notice when he's at his most effective? Well, you know what? That that goal that he scored last game is, is exactly what you're saying. It's it's typical Brock Besser goal, right? And we haven't really seen that shot, that release, very much lately. I mean, it's 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 maybe I don't know. It's just it's just that goal. Hopefully, is something to push him forward. Now he starts feeling it, right? And you know, I was at the Kraken game when they when they went down three one, and then all of a sudden Petey put uh, the team on his shoulders and decided that. Uh, you know, he was going to, he was going to, you know, they were going to win this game no matter what. And uh, when you see players like Patterson and when you see players like Besser and Horvat, even Miller, you know, when they get hot, they just are totally different players. They're, they look lighter. They, their, their abilities to, to see open players on the ice in the offensive zone at all times is just, is just magnified. And, and when you see players like that, uh, Playing Connor McDavid, Sidney Crosby, you name it, any offensive guy, uh, Leon Dreisaitl—they just are special to watch. And um, hopefully, this is a stepping stone for Besser. That uh, that's one of his best goals of the year, one of the best goals probably in two years. Hopefully, he starts getting that more and more opportunities, and more and more of those start going in for him. On Besser, uh, like you mentioned, Ken, we we know that. He came into the league and he immediately had like five or six highlight goals with with that shot. And there's been some injuries since then. There's been some ups and downs. It hasn't been the seamless transition to him just being a dominant goal scorer. But as a, as a young player who had that early success, what do you imagine is 
the, the struggle or the challenge that the player in his position, who we know has that skill that can make him a difference maker when he's not able to, whether it's injuries, whether it's some inconsistency in his play, capture that consistently across a, a large stretch of games. I, I think it's just a, a run. Like it just has to be goal scorers or you're either a streaky scorer. Uh, you know, you score every two or three games. Like there's a pattern on, on, on how guys, I think how guys score, uh, you know, other than a Connor Bedard or, or, you know, a McDavid or something like that. Those guys seem to be able to do it game in and game out. But in, in, in goal scores that, uh, you know, they get 30 and 40 a year. Those guys, those guys, go on streaks and, and, and Besser seems to be a streaky scorer. And, and if he doesn't get on a roll and it gets one every four or five games or one every 10 games, that's still, there's an, there's an element of frustration that comes in that is, is this ever going to happen again? And uh, unfortunately the, the league that they play in obviously is the best in the world. And there is, you know, the best in the world checkers there's the best in the world defensemen, you know, all sorts of different players that are making him not be a successful goal scorer. And uh, it just happens to come down to harder work, uh, put more time in off the ice, put more time in at practice. I mean, you just you just have to work harder. And it's it's nice to see guys get rewarded. That that goal that he scored was exactly what we saw two and three years ago. So hopefully that's something to uh, to look at and say, hey, that was the time that Brock Besser got going. And look at the streak he's on now. This uh, this stretch here, like post Christmas. Uh, it- how did you feel coming out of that break? Was it a chance for, for a streak or a, a chance for a slump to set in? I, you know what? I, I, it, it was, it was very quick. It was, I mean, it's not a, it's not a very long time off. You have a couple of days mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, hopefully the, the Turkey isn't affecting you in, in, in worse ways than others, but uh, it's just, it, it these guys, it, it's their job. They, they have a couple of days off. They were glad for the break. I'm, I'm sure they had some great time with their family and now you're back at it. Right. And, Hopefully, you know, things go away. I mean, they've won three games in a row. They had a great game going into the break, which was uh, which was Edmonton. They had a great game coming out of the break with San Jose. Uh, you know, they got another couple coming up here. Let's let's just see what happens with them. I mean, there's no there's no use in uh, in worrying about uh, whether they lost or not. They've won three in a row. So let's take that feeling into the next game and see if we can build on it. Uh, people are texting in, Ken, uh, 650-650. Uh, they want to know if you still have the picture of you and Pele. Yeah, you know what I do, and uh, it, it it was it was uh, it was brought up to me a couple of days ago because I actually showed a person uh, and they couldn't believe it. They actually said, "Is that Pele?" And I and I said, "Yes," and and it is yes. It's something that I will never give it away. I will never I will never lose it. It's tucked away in a place now, but you know, more important than ever. And um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very cool picture to see a young a young me with 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 a star like himself. Uh, probably a big honor for uh, Paley as well to take a picture with you. Uh, hey, Ken, we really appreciate it. Uh, have a happy new year as well, and uh, we'll talk next week. Yeah, you too, guys. Take care. Happy new year. Thanks, Ken. Ken Priestley, uh, two-time cup champion, joining us here on The People Show and our Mr. Fix-It from Dunbar Lumber. That's, uh, that's an awesome moment. That's cool. That's Stellar, and especially in the context of all well, of that, he earned it. Yeah, he, he wasn't just he didn't run into him on the street in Not Vancouver, courtside or something like that. He's just uh, he had to put the work in, the soccer skills in. Yeah, who was the biggest star you met as a kid? Doesn't come. I don't have one immediately come to mind. I think mine might be Sean Bradley. 
Sean Bradley. That's pretty good. I mean, I, I met the Grizzlies yeah. players, um, all of the like the starters, Sharif, and uh, like Bibby, and stuff. Look, but that's like, not mega stars. N- non-local. How about that? Because like like there were Canucks events, and you can meet yeah. Trevor Linden and Pavel Bure and all these sort of things. Non-local. I'm, I'm star. This is a total. This is it's local, but it's not professional sports. I met Ross Rebligati, the uh, oh yeah, the sol- snowboarder solid. in, in Dude, Whistler. That's awesome. Yeah. Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. It's a great one. Yeah, probably. Two years after Nagano, right? It's a great one. Yeah, that that's Strong. one that comes to mind. But that's that's a deep cut. I don't know. Is that a deep cut? It is compared to Pele. Sure, <laughs> I just wanted a big star. It's not a deep cut. Gotta make him a big star. <laughs> All right, we got to solve the Godfather references right there. Good thing it's the end of the show because we could go for another two hours on uh, just uh, Godfather references. All right, Dan Riccio, Satya Shaw, uh, coming up at four or sorry three o'clock with Canuck Central. It's the mailbag, so you can uh, go to their Twitter pages and text in six fifty six fifty as well. PDO Cast, Dmitry Filipovich on the way here on the home of Canuck Sportsnet six fifty.